Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We've looked at John 3.16 in context. We've looked at Romans 3.23 in context. If you want more context, by the way, we've gone verse by verse of the Gospel of John in our series, How God Lights Our Darkness. On the JCM YouTube channel, look up the series, How Christians Are Made, for a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the quintessential theological treatise of all of Scripture, the book of Romans. Speaking of Romans, today's verse is also in the book of Romans, Romans 6.23. So John 3.16, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 is another one of these verses that could articulate the gospel all by itself. You don't have a complete gospel presentation without hell, without the wrath of God. If you emphasize only the wrath of God and make no mention of the grace of God, you've not completed the gospel. If you speak only of the grace and the love of God and make no mention of repentance from sin, you've also given an incomplete gospel presentation. Your gospel presentation needs to include both the wrath that God has upon sin and the grace that God has for repentant sinners. Romans 3.23 encapsulates this. So in the book of Romans, at this point, we've arrived at Paul's description of baptism. When I, uh, when we taught the series, uh, when we taught the series, what was it, on, on basic church ordinances, the sacred acts, that's right. Uh, so look up the sacred acts for more detail on this. We talked about baptism spiritually. It's partly why we at the Redemption Church baptized by immersion, and it comes from Romans, among numerous other texts. Uh, again, go see that series. It goes all the way from Exodus and the baptism of the Israelites, as Paul uh, would call that in 1 Corinthians, to uh, you know the flood, as, as Peter would refer to it as well, uh, corresponding to the waters of baptism, to the baptisms we see in the book of Acts. And now here as well, the significance of baptism is sharing in the burial of Christ and sharing in the resurrection of Christ. And so, Sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. That's verse 14. Here is verse 15 to get a running start into Romans 6.23, one of our verses that we could use to share the gospel in the sacred conversations. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God, that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. That's where you become more like Christ. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? Like, what do you have to show for your sin? For me, the results of my sin have always just been destructive. But when I've followed Christ, kept in step with the Spirit, those are the things that have been beautiful forever. The outcome of those things is death. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's what happens. But now, 
Since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is, the running start into Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You can articulate the entire gospel this way, and when you pray it at the end, it becomes a confession statement. I confess that the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is a great verse for articulating the gospel because it has in equal parts the wrath of God upon sin and the grace that God has for repentant sinners. The wages of sin is death. This is pretty much the only message I've seen from the guys who walk around with the angry signs at the Mariners games. They leave off the second half of Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, kind of omitting and using whiteout to cover up what Scripture says about the wages of our sin, that's equally misleading and equally incomplete. When I see those guys protesting, and I guess it's sort of what they're doing, sort of protesting sin, they're not really leading a lot of people to Jesus. I know this because I walk up to them and ask them. They've even come to recognize me. <laughs> and I'll ask, like, how, what kind of fruit is this bearing? I mean, this even speaks to the fruit, right? <laughs> like Romans 6 even asks about the fruit. By their fruits, you will know them. This is how we're able to distinguish between false teachers and true teachers. They're fruit, they're the results that they produce. So what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. So that's why I ask these guys who show up with the signs saying, like, ask me why you deserve hell. Have you led anybody to Christ? There are some people, I believe, who will only be saved by such a gospel presentation. And as, uh, as of yet, I don't know, uh, let's see, in my time of filming, it's 2023, and I've been, I've been just very casually and politely meeting these guys and asking this question for a couple of years now. Uh, so far, it's one. Uh, but it could be more because somebody could see them from a distance, read that sign, go home, come under the conviction of the Spirit, and genuinely repent. There are some people who really just need that or they won't be saved. They'll only be saved by the harsh realization that comes from the conviction of sin in the first half of Romans 6.23. Now, this is a bit of a tangent and I don't want to seem legalistic about this. So let me just briefly close my Bible because I don't want to try to teach something as though it were biblical when it's not. Every Mormon I've ever led to Christ and every member of the LGBTQQIAAP plus community I've ever led to Christ They've always been mad at me for a little while at first. Now that it could be a problem in my delivery and you might be able to deliver and share the gospel in a way that's, that's better than I can, but I've led a lot of gay people to Christ. I've led a lot of Mormons to Christ and they're always mad at me, sometimes for like weeks and sometimes for years uh, because of this, because of the first half of Romans 6.23. And I don't know if there's another way. I think that they just need to hear the harsh truth. Look, look your sin, according to God, is giving birth to death. Like your sin is going to cost you your soul. It's going to rightly entitle you because of what you've earned, hence the term wages, death, eternity and hell apart from God. I love them too much 
to pretend like this isn't in here. And so I'll share it. And they're often and almost always mad at me, mad at me personally. It becomes like an ad hominem attack. Have you ever experienced this before? Where I'm just the FedEx delivery guy, okay? Here's your message from God. But then it becomes a personal attack about me, right? And an issue with me, framing me as though I am bigoted somehow because I'm sharing what God said. I'm not bigoted. I'm just practicing basic reading comprehension, obeying the Great Commission, sharing what the text says. And what I've seen is the Holy Spirit will use that and convict them. Rosaria Butterfield has a testimony kind of like this. Um, Jackie Hill Perry wrote a, a book called uh, Gay Girl, Good God. And she describes sitting in bed next to her legal wife and coming under the realization that this is true and that she was leading a lifestyle that condemned her to hell and she had to repent. And that was gonna be massively disruptive. I've seen people who grasp this and repent from this and the way that they repent is by getting a legal divorce. I've seen two gay men come to salvation and they had custody of a child. And then one of them had to move out. And then they had to share custody of the kid. I mean, how many of you, your salvation cost you a mortgage and a house and a divorce and legal fees? Like this, this, was, this was why Christians were opposed to the Obergefell decision leading up to 2015. It's not because we hate gay people. That's a stupid red herring. It's because we saw this coming. Conversion therapy is illegal. All right, I, I, I get that. I've seen people who have been abused by those systems. Mostly I see them on documentaries. I don't know a lot of them personally. I don't have any connection to any of these weird camps that zoom in particularly on sexual sin. And sexual sin is not a pet peeve of mine. It's not a pet issue. It's just what's really prevalent in my ministry context. What I do see though is everything goes sexually except repenting from homosexuality. That's now officially outlawed. In fact, there's a man who is facing legal repercussions for his own repentance. This is where we're at and this is what we saw coming. The original way that the gay marriage decision was packaged was, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get one. And now, my friends at Bethany Christian Services, a Christian adoption agency founded by Christians, believe the gospel, were forced under legal threat of law to then begin facilitating adoptions of children to same-sex couples. Those children, in every earthly sense of the world, were, were better off with the two men they lived with but Bethany Christian Services has been forced under coercion by threat of legal consequence to violate their own sincerely held religious beliefs. That's wrong. And I believe in motherhood. No man can ever give a child what a mother could, physiologically and spiritually. I believe in fatherhood as complementary to motherhood. No woman could ever give a child what a father has. You need a mother and a father. And this is the ideal setting for a child to grow in. So imagine, imagine how hard it is for a resident of Seattle who's gay, married, with kids, believing this. 
they're going to be mad at you at first. But I've seen it and I have immense respect for those men because for them, repentance from sin involved selling a house, getting two new mortgages, separating their finances, and then rearranging adoption papers. I mean, like, wow, wow. Imagine how difficult that would be. And thank God for how blessed you are that your coming to Christ didn't cost you any money, didn't cost you your house or custody of a child. Wow, I have immense, immense respect for those who repent from sin regardless of what it literally costs them. What their sin would have cost them in the long run, however, was their very lives. What they earn and what we earn and what I deserve because of my sin, we get because of our sin, the wages, that's fair compensation for services rendered, wages, get it? What you have earned is death, but what God gives freely as a gift is life. See, within Romans 6.23, the word wages in the first half and the word gift in the second half. See the word death in the first half. See the word life in the second half. You've earned death, but you, be, you can be given life. Romans 6.23 also in its second half completely upends legalism. You didn't earn this. It was a gift from God. You don't pay for a gift. It is given to you freely and you have not earned it. What you've earned are your wages. Those are death. What you've been given freely by God, that's a gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 is incredibly helpful in articulating the gospel. It does so succinctly. It includes the wrath of God. It includes hell. That's why I use it. That's why it's one of the five verses that I use when sharing the gospel, because I believe that a gospel presentation, in order to be complete, needs to talk about the wrath that God has for sin and the grace that God has for repentant sinners.